I could, uh, could you show that, like, our, like, go off screen and show our RCD welcome slide that was up? You just step out of this program, it'll be there. Isn't that wonderful? Check that out. Now go back to journeying with through Mark. So, Noel, thank you. Noel just, like, adds little things here and there. He just kind of drops these slides in. Doesn't say anything about it. Doesn't make a big deal out of it. It just happens. So, really grateful for what he does and how it just enhances who we are and what we're doing. So, we are. We're on a journey through Mark. And this morning, what Mark would like us to know is that Jesus does everything very well. So we find Jesus doing everything well. He does, he does something good when he steps out of conflict with uh, the Jewish religious establishment. If you'll remember, last week he was with his disciples and they were in Gennesaret. They were on the Sea of Galilee. And because of what Jesus is doing and the message around Jesus... Uh, the religious establishment in Jerusalem sends some Pharisees and scribes out to, let's check this out. And what they find out is, ah, can't be. Jesus can't be the Messiah. He cannot be the king that's foretold. And the reason he can't be is because his disciples, some of his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. They would be unclean. And if they're unclean and they're hanging out with Jesus, then Jesus would be unclean and the Messiah can't be unclean. And so Jesus kind of corrects their understanding of the Torah by saying, you know, it's true. In the Torah, there is a theme of purity and ritual cleanliness. But the Torah, God never said, wash your hands before you eat. You've interpreted that. That's the tradition of your elders. Now, you've added that. Now, you're emphasizing washing your hands and you're forgetting about purity, which is meant to be internal. So that was kind of a, a moment of conflict. I, I don't know the right... I wish I had... This. You can help me, you know. I don't, I don't know exactly the right word. There's probably a better technical word, but, but you know that Jesus came into the world a Jew. You, you know that, Right? But the Judaism that Jesus is teaching is not the same Judaism that was being expressed at this time. So Jesus is, is, is it okay to say he's reforming Judaism? I think that Jesus would be like, he's, he is the new Israel. And so you have this point, these points of conflict between Jesus and the religious Jewish establishment. And they don't like it. Because he's messing with their system. So there's times Jesus has to step out. He does that really well. He steps out of the conflict. He also does really well when he makes a deaf, deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He rescues a child from the torment of a demon. And at the end of that sequel, his work amazes beyond all measure. His work amazes beyond all measure. What is that? Amazes beyond all measure. The Gentiles in the Decapolis are amazed beyond all measure by what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is doing everything in the right way. 
And another synonym for that, which I think is awesome, Jesus is doing everything beautifully. Jesus is doing everything beautifully in the right way. And these Gentile people are amazed beyond all measure in what he's doing. Isn't that incredible? That's the overview of the paragraph we're going to read in a moment. And that statement by Mark, Jesus doing everything well, is found in this context of even when Jesus sought to escape notice. So after his conflict with the religious, he heads to Tyre. Where is Tyre? Not the tire on your car, tire. <laughs> well, just say that. So he goes to Tyre and he enters a house wishing no one to know. I don't want anybody to know I'm here. Yet it's, he's, it's, it's, he's unable to keep it hidden because a woman finds him and she has a need. And he does for her something that is right in a beautiful way. And then you keep going with Jesus. And, and Jesus does everything well, even when his miraculous work is done in private. So he goes from Tyre to the, to the Decapolis. Where's the Decapolis? How's your map? How's your geography? Is it working yet? Okay, we'll get that. I'm going to show you a map in a moment. And there he runs into this man and he sticks his fingers in his ear. That was the beginning of wet willies right there. No. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Don't write that down. So when they bring this deaf mute to Jesus, no, he took him aside away from the crowd, away from the crowd by himself. And he does something beautiful. He does something well. Even when it's done in private. And Jesus does things well even when others, they just could not contain their enthusiastic proclamation. He's still in the Decapolis. You're still working on where in the world is that? Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he asked them not to tell anyone, notice, the more zealously they proclaimed it. So they're not living in obedience to Jesus. (laughs) And yet, he's doing everything well. And this is the crowd who is amazed beyond all measure what Jesus is doing. In Mark chapter 7... Verse 24 to 37. From there, from Gennesaret, from the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus set out. And he went away to the region of Tyre. And he entered a house. And he did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. And a woman, whose little daughter, had an unclean spirit, immediately heard about him. And she came. She bowed down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician origin. Where's Syrophoenicia? What does that mean? She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. 
He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the, the, the region of Tyre and he went by the way of Sidon, another place where Sidon, towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech and they begged him to lay his hands on him. So he took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue, then looked up to heaven, sighed and said, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the, the more he ordered them, the more jealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He's done everything well. He does everything in the right way. He does everything beautifully. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Jesus did, does, will forever do everything well. And may I say, especially when it comes to cross-cultural ministry to the Gentiles. What's so surprising about this paragraph is a couple of things. One, Mark has set us up. And the whole conflict with the religious, he drops this little sentence. Thus, Jesus declared all foods clean. That may not seem like a big deal to us. But the, di- the dietary standards of Israel kept them in a box with themselves, isolated, insulated from contact with Gentiles. Now they could, they could have contact with Gentiles. They could eat in a Gentile's home, but it was frowned upon. And if they did it, they became ritualistic and unclean. So they had to go through this whole series of purity acts so they would be pure again. And people didn't want to do that. So they lived in isolation. So when Jesus says all food is clean, he's also opening the door for contact with the Gentile world. See, the reason I asked you, where are these places? Well, one, here's Gennesaret. This is where he is. This is where the conflict with the religious, this is still within Israel proper, Yeruth in Galilee. But when Jesus goes to Tyre, he goes into, in that day, it was Phoenicia. And that's where he meets this woman whose daughter has a demon. And then he travels up the side and then in some way wanders back to the Decapolis. Again, the green is what is Israel. This is Gentile. So everything that we've just read about is Jesus making contact with the Gentile world. Now, let me kind of, let me try to bring some tension because I'm not sure we really appreciate the line of demarcation between the Jewish world and Gentile world. 
So let me, because one of our values is being culturally relevant, let me just kind of ratchet it up a little bit. What if, well, you know, what would, if Jesus showed up in Galilee today? I mean, let's just, let's make Jesus, he's in Galilee, and he's with the religious. He says, hey, folks, you don't need to practice kosher anymore. How do you think that would be received by the religious in Israel today? One of the funniest stories Mary Ann told, she's in the home of a religious Jewish family, and there's rattling in the kitchen. Was this preparation for just a regular Sabbath? Okay, it's coming, rattling, and, and then she heard this expression, something like this, correct me if I'm wrong. Who would ever choose to be a Jew? <laughs> it's so much work. Is that, was that, did I hear that right? And our friend was in the kitchen sorting out the dishware because the meatware can't touch the, the milkware. And I mean, all that, all that. She's, so if Jesus would have come into her home and said, you know, you're right. It's too much work. You don't need to do that anymore. How would that have been received? There would probably be the same conflict that there was in Jesus' day. And so then Jesus says, okay, I'm not going to push this. I'm going to slip away. I'm going to go to Lebanon. Because that's where Tyre is. And not only is Tyre in southern Lebanon, who kind of controls southern Lebanon? Hezbollah. So Jesus just says, okay, I'm going to leave the land. Oh, by the way, I can't go across that border. I've got to go out to Cyprus and then I can come back. Because you can't cross the border right now between Lebanon and Israel. Oh, I better have the right passport too. Because if my passport is stamped Israel, I can't get into Lebanon and if I, my passport is stamped Lebanon, I can't get into Israel. So people have dual passports. So then Jesus is in Tyre, in Lebanon. He's not supposed to be in, is he supposed to be in Lebanon? Then all of a sudden the Syrophoenician woman comes with a need. Who, who's, what, is, what does Syro mean? Syrian. Oh my goodness. What in the world? A Syrian woman is going to come ask Jesus for help? And then he's going to go over to the Decapolis. And so when he's in the Decapolis, they bring him a deaf mute man. And within the flow of the story, I'd say he's a Gentile as well. And if he's, go back to the map. Thank you. If he's down here, here's the Sea of Galilee. If he's down here, what would, what would that be on the map today? Jordan. Or if he's up here, because the Decapolis stretched from Damascus. Where's Damascus? Syria. To Philadelphia. Jordan. So Jesus is either, either in Syria or Jordan. Would that bring a little tension? Would that upset us a little bit if we knew that Jesus was making these travels to these places and he was doing stuff for these people? Let's be real. It would. Because we have lots of questions. We have, we're only uneasy about that part of the world and who these people are. But that's why I say when Jesus does things well, one of the things he does best 
is he accomplishes God's global mission. God does love Israel, but he doesn't just love Israel. He loves Israel and every other nation, even the nations that surround Israel. He loves them. And Jesus is at work seeding that part of the world, in a sense, prematurely. Because when it comes to the Syrophoenician woman, I mean, it's, I mean, gosh, there's so much against Jesus helping her from a Jewish point of view. She's a Gentile. She's a Phoenician from the northern part of the province of Syria. She's a woman with a child and there's no husband mentioned. And her child is demon-possessed. Now, if my child was demon-possessed, which at times I thought they were, (laughs) I would probably not make that known. Because I think if my child is demon-possessed, there's probably something not right in my family. Would fair? So she might not be like the best candidate to come into Jesus' world. She's got a lot of strikes against her. And Jesus, I mean, this is like one of the, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you call it strange, maybe misunderstood, I don't know. He says to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she answered, but sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Again, there is a context to that. I mean, dogs, I mean, it's not like we're unfamiliar with that. We have a B word that is profanity. I mean, you don't want to be called the B word, right? So dogs in the Middle East at the time of Jesus were considered by the Jews to be unclean animals, just like those unclean Gentiles. The common Jewish sentiment was the most despicable, insolent, miserable of all creatures is a dog. And comparing someone with a dog was insulting and dishonoring. We get that. We do the same thing. And the Jewish habit was calling a person of another faith a dog. Gentiles were dogs. What in the world is Jesus doing? What is he doing? I mean, this is, this is a racial slur. And we're kind of familiar with those in our day. What's he doing? Is that what he's doing? Again, the, the tension... I mean, I got to read the Bible for what's there. I can't create this world that's not there. This is a really tense moment. Take a breath. Sometimes it helps to know a little Greek. Because there's something going on here that, again, Jesus does everything so well, so beautifully. Both Jesus and this woman used the diminutive form of the word dog. 
which changes the whole scenario. The diminutive form doesn't mean the street dog, the snarling dog, the insolent dog, the miserable creature. It's a house dog. And when Jesus says the children of the house, he's talking about Israel. So Israel must first be satisfied first, not only, just first, and then the Gentiles will feed. It's true. I mean, Israel does have a historic privilege to receive the announcement of the kingdom before the Gentiles. The whole history the people of Israel was to set them up to receive Messiah so that Messiah would then go to the Gentiles. And obviously when Jesus showed up as Messiah, Israel was not quite ready in whole to receive him, though Jews began to receive him, believe in him, follow him. That's the first disciples. But the message of the gospel of the kingdom was to wait to go to the Gentiles. And and God primarily did that through Paul. But it starts with Jesus. Then I found this statement, which I think is, again, this beautiful statement. Jesus is touching the Gentile world, but in a way that is, 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 for me, it's undoing the racial slur that the word dog connotated. And they're having a conversation and she is not feeling that she's less than this Jewish man. She simply appeals to the readiness of Jesus to help, which has no frontiers. Somehow within her, she knew she could ask Jesus as a Jewish rabbi in a Gentile land to help her with a demon in her daughter. And somehow she knew I can make that request and he's not going to say no. That's beautiful. That is like incredible. So as I travel through this section of Mark, I feel like there's some questions that it, are good conversation questions for us as a community. And the first one is, you know, how confident are we of Jesus doing everything well? Where is Jesus at work in your life? Where is Jesus at work in your neighborhood? Where is Jesus at work in our city? Are we confident that Jesus is doing it well? That the beautiful work of Jesus continues on the earth now? Are we confident of that? And then what about, you know, when are our neighbors, those that are outside of the church, amazed beyond all measure by the beautiful work of Jesus done? In the right way. When are our neighbors outside the church? So they would be our Gentiles. (laughs) 
We'd be the children, they'd be the Gentiles. When are our neighbors outside the church amazed beyond all measure by the beautiful work of Jesus done in the right way? The last one, what new frontiers are we confident of Jesus' readiness to help regardless of race, religion, geography, or need? Because this story mentions Syria, I would be the first to confess to you that we have failed the Syrian people miserably. 11 million people as refugees. It's the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. 5 million displaced out of the country, 6 million displaced in the country. And that's a frontier that Jesus seeded in this conversation with the Syrian woman. And sometimes our fears get the best of us. Sometimes our comfort gets the best of us. And we won't go to those places that Jesus is and has already been. But that's not the only place. But it's brought up in the story. It's worth thinking about. So I want to invite you uh, just to kind of cluster in groups of five and share your answers to those questions. And come up with like an action step. (laughs) What could your little group of five do in response to what Jesus has done and continues to do in our world? Okay? So cluster in groups of five. Have a conversation. Use these questions. Come up with an action step. And that's our morning together. Thank you very much. Yeah, would you put the questions back up, Steve? He would be glad to.